Well, we're continuing our message series today, The Importance of Church. God's Word commands every believer to be part of a local church, and everything that God commands us, He empowers us to do it. And when we obey God's commands, we are blessed. That's a good thing. I want to be blessed, and I want you to be blessed. On the other hand, when we disobey God's commands, then we are not blessed. And not only are we not blessed, but we come under God's judgment. And so we don't want that to happen. Now, the blessing of God is not just a spiritual blessing. It also involves blessing every aspect of our lives, our physical lives, our emotional lives, as well as our spiritual lives. The first verse we want to look at today is Proverbs 3, 7, and 8. And in your bulletins, in the middle of them, there's a white page. I'd encourage you to take it out. It has the scriptures and the outline written out there for you. And you can fill in the blank. On the back is a study guide with questions that will help you dig in deeper. And many of the life groups are following those questions as discussion guides for their meetings. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, for the Lord, I mean, fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And so when we fear the Lord, when we obey God's word, it actually brings health and healing to our bodies. Now, just this last year, a distinguished professor at Harvard University wrote a book chapter entitled Religion and Health, which I just recently read, and, well, I skimmed it, sorry. Just be honest, okay? So the chapter reviewed the research uh, that had taken place, including his own in 2016, which showed the positive health benefits of church attendance. It was very interesting. Here's a brief summary of the research results that I gathered in my skimming of this long chapter. Those who attend church at least once a week were one-third less likely to die during the research study period. The average life expectancy of church attenders was seven years longer than non-attenders. Okay, and uh, a 2016 study showed that church attenders were less likely by 26% to be depressed than non-attenders. Another 2016 study showed that church attenders had a five times lower suicide rate than non-attenders. The divorce rate for church attenders were, was 40% lower than for non-attenders. Now these results were for people who attended Protestant and Catholic churches, and uh, there was no distinction made between what kind of church people attended. And uh, this was really very high caliber uh, scientific research. This guy is a celebrated professor. and there's correlation. The more you attended church, if you attended multiple times a week, uh, the effects were greater. You attended once a week, they were a little less. You attended once a month, they were a little less. So it all, it all made sense. And so it showed that, significant, that church attendance is a significant contributor to good health. Now, you know, we don't know all the causes and effects for that. And actually, they said it had about the same effect as regular exercise. So I know what you're all thinking. Since I attend church regularly, I don't have to exercise anymore, right? Well, I think probably you're better off if you exercise and attend church regularly. Then you'll get a double bonus. So doing what God says brings blessing into our lives of all different kinds. 
Now, last Sunday, we talked about being a worshiping church. We discussed the importance of church attendance. So we can worship God together by singing, we can pray together, uh, and we can hear God's word. Now, today, my message is entitled, A Loving Church. We're going to talk about God's purpose for the church of fellowship. Luke 10, 27, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this, these verses are often called the great commandment. It has two parts. The first part is to love God with everything you have. Not 50%, not 80%, but 100% with everything you have. And that is the purpose of worship. We talked about that last Sunday. The second part is loving your neighbor as yourself. And when we love our fellow believers that are part of the local church, it is fulfilling the purpose of fellowship in the church. Now, when we love people outside the church, we're supposed to do that as well. That's, that's part of the purpose of outreach, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. So what is fellowship? It's kind of a churchy word that isn't used a lot outside of the church. Somebody wants to define fellowship as, as two fellows in a ship working together to reach the same destination. And there's some truth to that. That's not an analysis of the Greek word, but there's some truth. We're, we're working together. We're go, heading in the same direction. And so in the church, we're believers. We're heading in the same direction. We're headed towards heaven. We're working together to bring as many people along with us to heaven as possible and worshiping God along the way. That's what fellowship is all, all about. Now, last week, we talked about worship, worshiping together uh, primarily in a large group on a, on a Sunday morning where we have, uh, say, 100, around 100 people. And so in this type of corporate worship, we have a large group dynamic. There's usually one person talking, teaching, preaching, and multiple people listening. There's not a lot of opportunity for interaction. It's just the nature of a large group dynamic. Now this week, we're going to be talking about fellowship. We're talking, going to be talking about how relations are built, relationships are built among people in a smaller group setting. And when you have a smaller group, there's more opportunity for interaction. There's more opportunity for discussion. There's more opportunity to get to know one another. We see these two types of interactions happening in the book of Acts. Acts 2.46, the early church, it says of them in, that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now we know on the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 people were saved in the temple court. So that was a mega church of their day. That was a large group. And the apostles were teaching the people. And there wasn't a lot of interaction between the apostles and teachers. I don't know how they did it without a sound system, but the Holy Spirit somehow made it possible for all those people to hear they also broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There we have the small group interactions, people meeting together in their homes. I can guarantee you there weren't 3,000 people meeting in somebody's home. Uh, homes couldn't hold a lot more than we hold today, maybe 20, 20, 30 people at maximum. And many homes were smaller than that. And so there was much more opportunity for them to build relationships and have intimate fellowship as they met house to house. 
And so today we're going to look at some of these dynamics, particularly uh, as they apply to the whole church, but particularly as they apply to small groups as well. We want, or God wants us to have a loving church family. God desires for us to live in unity with one another. Jesus said in John 17, I in them, this is a prayer, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so in this verse, Jesus is praying to the Father that believers would have complete unity. Now that can only happen as Jesus is indwelling each and every believer through his Holy Spirit, which he does. And so the end result of believers dwelling in unity, living in unity, will be that unbelievers in the world will see those believers as being loved by God. And they will see the unity that God has brought to them. And so the unity of believers is not found in all of us having the same education level, all of us being the same race, all of us having similar jobs, or any other external factor. The unity of believers is simply because we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Unity comes and grows as we follow Jesus together. Romans 15 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. Underline that word unity. Among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the more that we follow Jesus together, the more unified we will be. The more we worship the Father together with one heart and one mouth, the more unified we will be. Now this is not only speaking of worshiping by yourself. It's not simply speaking of worshiping by yourself. It's speaking of worshiping with other believers. And if you look around you today, you'll see that the other believers here are not exactly like you. Right? You say amen, okay? They're not exactly like you. As much as you want everybody to be like you, everybody is not like you. We're all different. We're all different in many, many different ways. I'll just throw this in with no charge. If you ever go to a church and everybody is dressed exactly the same, and they look exactly the same, they have the same tie on, the same haircut, get out. Okay, get out very quickly. It's a cult. Okay, so just words of advice. <clears throat> there can only be unity between believers as they're following Jesus together. It has nothing to do with external uh, conformity. It has to do with heart issues. And so when we follow Jesus together, we can agree with one another. 1 Corinthians 1 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and heart. And so this letter was written by Paul to the local church at Corinth. And in this verse, Paul appeals to the local church and calls them brothers and sisters. They're part of the family of God. And he commands them to agree with one another and not have divisions between them. And so the, the desire of God is for 
local churches to be perfectly united in mind and thought. That is the goal. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. That should be our goal as well. Now, the whole reason the letter to 1 Corinthians was written was because the church at Corinth was not united. They were not united at all. There were factions. They were arguing with one another about which teacher to follow and what teaching to believe. There was a lot of friction and division in that church. But the Holy Spirit was teaching them through God's Word, and through God's Word He's teaching us today that we should be perfectly united in mind and thought. And through God's Spirit, that can happen more and more. It happens through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of each and every believer. And so in the local church, we are to live in unity with one another. And for those of us who are believers here today, we are brothers and sisters. That's what God's Word repeatedly calls us. That's how we should view and treat one another in the church family. So what are hindrances to unity in the local church? Let's look uh, in a little bit of detail at one of the big ones. One of the hindrances to unity in the local church is gossip. What is gossip? Well, gossip is talking about a problem. A problem you have a problem with another person when the person you're talking to is not part of the problem and not part of the solution. Let's give an example. Suppose you have an issue with somebody in the church. It could be another church attender. It could be a leader, small group, or even a pastor. It could be you have an issue with somebody. They upset you. They did something you didn't like. Something like that. And so you go to a close friend you have in the church and you tell this close friend about this issue. You tell them how it's affecting you. You tell them how it's upsetting you. And you ask them to pray for you. Sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Very, very spiritual, but it's not. Uh, according to God's word, you've just sinned and you've gossiped. And the person who listened to your gossip has also sinned by participating in the gossip. Now, people who gossip never think they're gossiping. Never, ever, ever. I'll tell you that for sure. They think they're just talking to friends. But God's Word says it's gossiping. And what happens? So you tell your friend the problems you're having with another person. What happens then? Your friend, he's your friend or she's your friend, they take your side. And they get bad feelings to the person you're talking about. And all of a sudden, there begins to be a division in the church. These people over here are thinking badly of a person who may not even know he has no issue with these people, but they've heard the story from somebody else. And you have a division in the church. Now, rather, when you're upset with somebody, rather than talking to your friend about it, what should you have done? We don't have time. There's a whole sermon in itself. But according to Matthew 18, you wanna, might want to write that reference down. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. What you should do when you're upset with somebody, when you think somebody has sinned against you, you go not to your friend to tell them about it. You go to the person you're having an issue with and seek to bring reconciliation to the relationship. That's what you should do. And that will keep unity in the church. You reconcile that relationship between you and the other person, 
unity. You're not having involved anybody else. And peace and unity prevails in the church. Second hindrance to unity is related to simply unforgiveness. Some things just simply need to be forgiven. Not talked about, not gossiped about. Just simply forgiven and move on. Other things you need to deal with that person and you need to go talk to them. And that will keep unity in the church. That's just one uh, a big issue that causes unity in the church. We don't have time. There's many verses about that. We don't have time to go into that. But we're going to concentrate on living in unity. We live in unity as we learn to love one another. Uh, Jesus said in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And so the Bible teaches and speaks of believers in the local church, as we already said, as brothers and sisters. Uh, we're followers of Jesus, but we're brothers and sisters to one another. And Jesus commands us to love our brothers and sisters, to love one another as he has loved us. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? How did he love us? He laid down his life for us. We'll see that in a minute. But the result of that, as we love one another, in all our diversity, in all of our differences, unbelievers will know that we're followers of Jesus because something is different about us through the love that we have for one another. Now, in order to love one another, you have to know other people. You have to know your brothers and sisters. Currently, if you look at people who are regular attenders to the church, about 150 people. Now, we don't, aren't always here, or not ever here, all at once. Uh, that's the way things are in churches. But 150 people, it's simply not possible to know what's going in the lives of 150 other people. It's not possible to demonstrate love on a deep level to each and every one of them. It's just too many. And that's why we're instructed in God's Word to not only meet in a large group, but also to meet together in small groups. 1 Corinthians 14 gives some instruction about small groups. It says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. And so these instructions were given to the house churches in Corinth, indicating that each person was able to contribute their gift to the meetings. Now that could only happen in a small group that met in homes. Now we have small groups at Life Church. They're called life groups. Generally six to twelve adults. It varies, but they meet together to study God's word, to pray, and to fellowship on a weekly basis. And if you've been part of a small group before, either in another ministry or here, you understand that in small groups you really get to know other people. Of course, when you really get to know other people, the forgiveness thing is important. Because nobody's perfect, including you. So we learn to forgive in small groups and to truly love one another. And so you truly learn to care about other people, to get to know them and love them in a small group. And so at Life Church, we strongly encourage everybody to participate in one of these small groups. And if you've looked at the list that we have currently and the times or locations don't work out for you, let us know about your situation, that you'd like to be in one, but it just doesn't work out. 
And we'll keep that in mind as the church continues to grow, new groups are formed. Uh, we'll see that, uh, do what we can to allow you to be part of them. What happens in a small group? In a small group, you can instruct one another. Romans 15, 14, Paul writes, I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters, we're seeing that phrase a lot, aren't we? Brothers and sisters. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now, this morning, we're not all instructing one another, are we? It's really not possible. But in a small group, rather than just one person teaching all the rest in a small group, all our small groups have a discussion format, and we discuss things, and people are able to contribute to the discussion, asking questions, answering questions related to the scriptural topic that we're talking about. And so in these small groups, we want everybody to have an opportunity to discuss, not just a few. So we encourage those who tend to be talkative to give those who aren't so talkative an opportunity to discuss so that everybody can discuss in the small group. And what happens is everybody discusses God's word. We instruct one another. Your brother or sister will have an insight that you've never thought of before. You say, oh, I never saw it that way. Or they might have a question that causes you to think more deeply about God's word. You help each other apply God's word to your life. And we also, in a small group, are able to pray for one another. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so God's word in many places encourages us to pray for one another. And when you're praying for somebody, it's, it's best to know something about who they are and what needs they have in their life. And in a small group, you can confidentially share your needs with those in that group and have your brothers and sisters pray for you until those needs are met. And when your needs are met, you share a praise report. You can stop praying now. God has answered our prayers together. And so that's all part of loving our brothers and sisters in a church family. Now, we see these principles of different levels of relationship in the ministry of Jesus. And there were times that he spoke to large crowds of thousands of people. But at the very end of his ministry, he gave instructions to his disciples to wait and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And how many were left on the day of Pentecost? 120. There's 120 that were left. A smaller group of people that he poured into more. But he had the closest relationships with his 12 disciples. That was Jesus' small group, as it were. And those were people he saw each and every day. He poured his life into them. He knew them the best. He taught them the most. And so again, if you're a regular attender here at Life Church and not yet part of a life group, we encourage you to get involved. Our current groups are listed in the bulletin. And as I said, if none of those work out, just let me know. Just like, don't say, I, I just can't go to any of them. Let me know. I want to be involved in a life group. These aren't working out. Here's my schedule. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that instantly a group will form for you, but we're going to keep that in mind as we, as we do form, as the groups grow and new groups are formed. And so to be part of a loving church, it means living in unity, growing in love for one another, and finally committing yourself to one another. 
1 John 3.16, Apostle John writes, he said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so biblical love for your brothers and sisters in the local church involves laying down your life for them. Now, in America today, thankfully, it, it is probably not going to mean you're going to have to die, I mean today, for your brothers and sisters. Who knows in the future? But right now, it's probably not going to mean that. In other countries of the world, it may well mean that. You literally are laying down your life for your brothers and sisters. But for us today, to lay down your life, it means to... Commit your time to one another. That's part of your life, is it not? Your life is made up of time, the things that you do, the things that you spend your day on. And by taking time to meet together with other people in a small group, you're laying down your life. The things, you know, the TV show you could have watched, or the sports game, or whatever it may be, you're taking that time and devoting it to your brothers and sisters. To commit yourself to one another involves encouraging one another. Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I think I mentioned last Sunday how many commands in the Bible reference or say do this for one another. You can't do these things by yourself. That's why every believer needs to be part of a church family. And here it tells us to encourage one another daily. Now, if you just come to church on Sunday mornings, can you obey that command? No, it should say weekly, right? This must be a mistake in the translation. Uh, no, it's uh, encourage one another daily. You can't do that if you only see people on Sunday mornings. And so, knowing your brothers and sisters in a small group, that's an, another day that you meet with them. And... I mean, this isn't hard and fast. You know, Monday I have to talk to everybody. But you're involved in their lives. You know something's going on. You can pray for them uh, during the week as well. You know what's going on and meet together. Other times during the week, even outside a life group, it, it becomes a smaller family of, of people committed to loving one another. And when you encourage other people, what happens? They tend to encourage you back. And we all need encouragement. Why? Well, this verse gives us one of the reasons. Why are we to encourage one another daily? If we don't, we may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What does that mean? Well, sin is very tricky. It's very crafty. And when we remove ourselves from fellowship with other believers, and maybe we begin to fellowship with unbelievers, we become deceived. We start to do things that are not right, that take us further away from God. And the further away from God, the less we want to meet with our fellow believers. And before you know it, you've wandered away from the flock and your life is in serious danger. You've been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So each of us needs to be encouraged and to encourage others on a regular basis. That's part of our commitment to one another. Finally, commitment to one another involves becoming a church member. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And so, to be devoted is to be committed to one another in a church family, in a local church. 
To honor others above yourself is to be more concerned about meeting the needs of other people in the church family than meeting your own needs. And so a church member is a believer who's made a commitment to their local church. Now, members of a physical family, father, mother, children, they receive benefits from their physical family and they have responsibilities in their physical family as well in order for it to function. And the same is true for members of a local church such as Life Church. And so I would like to encourage every believer who's an attender here at Life Church to take the next step of commitment to this local church by becoming a church member. Now, for various reasons, we haven't had a church membership class here actually for several years. And one of the reasons is that we've been rewriting the membership class and reducing its length from four sessions to one session. We say hooray. Okay. So um, much of the material that we are eliminating that was previously taught in the class is actually I'm presenting it in this message series. Uh, the importance of church. So as you listen to this message series, you're getting a lot of that material. And in the near future, exact date uh, still to be determined, we're going to be offering the membership class again. It's listed in your bulletin as Introduction to Our Church Family. And the class has been revised. Uh, some of you attended the sessions uh, some years ago, and the class still has been revised. So I'd like to encourage everyone to take the class, even if you've previously taken the membership class and or a member. The first class uh, will take place during the growth class uh, time period, 8.30 to 9.30 on Sunday mornings, and we're most likely offered at other times as well, perhaps after the service for people who can't make that, and we will announce those dates uh, in the near future. You can sign up today for the membership class on your Connect card uh, as well, so we'll get you uh, on the on the list, it may be that the class on Sunday mornings may have a, a space limitation, so we encourage you to sign up. But we'll keep offering the class. as only one session, so until everybody... Well, well, we'll offer it on a regular basis, put it that way. And after taking the class, you'll have an uh, opportunity to apply for church membership if you're not already a member. If you have any more questions, you can ask me, but we'll be talking more about that as our plans become finalized in the near future. And so today we're, we've looked at God's purpose of having a loving church family. God's desire is for us to live in unity, to grow in loving one another, and to make a commitment to each other in the church family. So I'm excited about what God is doing in our church family, what he's done in the past, what he's doing today, and I know he has much more planned for us together in the future. And as we follow Jesus, as we're committed both to him and to our brothers and sisters in the church family, we're going to see God do even greater things than he's done in the past. Now all of this begins with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must first become a worshiper of God before we become part, a uh, member of the local church. And so we're going to pray a simple prayer in a minute in which we admit that we've sinned, we believe Jesus Christ died for our sins, we invite him into our lives and commit ourselves to him as our Lord and Savior. And so if you've never made commitment to Jesus before, or perhaps you made a commitment in the past, you feel like you've wandered away and you want to recommit your life, I'd encourage you to pray 
along with me. So let's bow our heads. If you'd like to pray this prayer for the first time or recommit your life, uh, please pray in your own mind. God knows your thoughts and your heart. Say something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've been following my own plan for my life, not yours. I repent. I turn away from those sins. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, paid the price for those sins, arose from the dead that I might be forgiven. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And for those of us who are already believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for dying for each one of us, for showing your great love for us, so that we could become part of the family of God. We thank you for Life Church, God, this local church right here that you have given to us. We thank you for our brothers and sisters here, fellow believers. God, help us to continue to grow in unity with one another and in harmony that we might be a witness to the world around us. Forgive us for the times when we've been selfish or when we've done anything that might cause divisions in the church family. God, show us how to grow in our love for one another, for our brothers and sisters. God, we pray that each person here would be able to participate in a small group, in a life group. Make it possible, God. Schedules, plans, and everything to work for that to happen for each one of us. And give us wisdom as the groups continue to grow. And give us patience as things change, God, we pray. Teach us the importance, God, of making a commitment to this local church family here at Life Church through becoming a church member. And we thank you, God, as we move forward on that, that you're going to help us to grow in our devotion, both to you and to one another. We pray, God, for your blessing on each and every person here this morning as we follow Jesus together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.